Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Welcome to ES First. We are a Bible-believing church. We preach through books of the Bible. Right now we're in the book of James. I like to refer to it as the Christian self-help book. Um, so as much self-help as you can get in the world and self-care and uh, wisdom of man's interpretation, usually they're trying to somehow interpret the Bible that even if they don't know it. And uh, the book of James is that book for your life. And if you internalize it, if you apply it, if you get involved with it, your life will be substantially different as you apply it each and every day. So we started off with James chapter one and uh, pastors done two and three. And so we have picked up at the end of three and moving into four. He leaves all the hard ones for me. And so uh, you might have a few ouches today. I apologize in advance. I can't do anything about that. Talk Talk it over with God. Okay. So, James chapter 4, verse 1. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. James chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have... Because you do not ask God, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace That is why scripture says he opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know it's powerful and effective. We admit that. We've seen it over and over again. And that's why we're here today. We know we need healing in every area of our life. We know we need to be full in places that are empty. We know in places that we need to grow in so that we can encourage and bless others. We know that everything you do inside of us goes beyond us. That's why we're here today. We want to become the people that you've always dreamed of. We're sick of being just average and regular and and mediocre. We want to be people of power, people of your spirit, people that change the world, change their neighborhood, change families, change legacies. Do that today in this moment. We know that a sermon is just a bunch of words, but if you touch it, it'll give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 4 undoubtedly just kind of comes out and is like, hey, you got trouble. It's like James's theme, right? You've got trouble. If you got trouble, consider it pure joy. If you have these problems, it's your fault. If you have, if you have uh, sin in your life, it's not God who's done these things to you. It's you. He goes on and he says, hey, you need to watch your mouth because your mouth is what's causing you to sin. He's like over and over and over. He's just pointing the finger at you. And then he runs up in chapter four and he's like, check this out. You've got troubles. You've got fights and quarrels. What causes those? Isn't it all that crap in side of you? That's what he starts off with. It's like, you're just going to come at me like that, James. That's what you got for me today? 
It's all of these things inside of you that are stirring and brooding. And he, he chalks it up to these desires. And it's not the first time he said this, because in chapter 1 he said the same thing. He's like, people are drawn away by their own desires. And, and what we have to look at is, what is our life like on the inside? What are we becoming constantly and thinking about and dwelling about? Because every day you wake up and you do this word, desire. Every day, you wake up and you desire. For instance, this morning, I desired that my kids would get up and get dressed and get ready for church. That did not work. So then I had to pick up each kid out of their bed like, uh, like the good shepherd. And uh, I took Avery and I threw her on the bed and she likes that. So then, uh, for some reason, both Avery and Reagan wound up in my bed today, um, this morning. And last night, Judah begged me. He's like, can I sleep with you, Dad? Can I sleep with you, Dad? Because a bunch of times, like, no, son, no, son. It's Sunday. It's Saturday night. I'm getting ready for Sunday. I got to get good rest. And whatever they go. So um, at some point during the night, Avery comes in, and then Reagan comes in. She's like a full 15. She's a full-grown adult. Avery is like a full-grown, um, I don't know, massive person. And uh, they're both kicking and pushing and all that stuff all night long. And Judah comes in early in the morning because he's going to, he's an early riser and he likes to play his video game. He comes in and he says, dad, why is everyone in your bed? (laughs) And I'm like, oh son, I know I said, I know I said that you, you couldn't sleep. And I know you desired to be in this bed with everybody else, but everybody else desired. And I didn't have that desire. And all of these things are waging war. I said, you can sleep with me tonight. All you want all week long. It's yours, buddy. So I had to pick up Reagan and she says, dad, do not pick me up. And I eventually got her picked up. She's a full-sized person now. And uh, so I pick her up, and she's like, Dad, let me go. Let go, let go. I'll get up, I'll get up, I'll get up. But I desired them to get up. She desired to sleep. I said, we're going to leave this house by 9 o'clock because I want to stop and get coffee on the way to church. That was my desire. Guess what didn't happen? I didn't get coffee. Okay. And Reagan seems to think that it's all my fault. That's her desire to blame it on me. As you can see, Desires inside of us create quarrels and fights among us. It doesn't take long to follow this thread when you desire your day to go a certain way. You desire your spouse to do a certain thing. You desire your kids to do a certain thing. You desire your employer to treat you a certain way. You desire your goals and your dreams and everything to line up in a certain way. And James is saying, listen, the tension that you feel, the stress that you feel, everything inside of your life that is not going the way you want it to, and it causes these places to have friction, is because of your desires inside of you. Now, the Bible doesn't preach that desires are evil. As a matter of fact, the Bible preaches and tells us that God will give you the desires of your heart. And so for me, that means twofold. First of all, he deposits the desires inside of you. Anybody ever had your desires change because Jesus was in your life? Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't, I don't desire the things that I used to. My life is different. I feel differently. I feel like I want to go a different route because of Jesus. He deposits desires and then he also fulfills those desires. He loves to do that. As a matter of fact, he says that a dream fulfilled in your life is a tree of life. I liken it often to a father with his son or his kids. And he, what happens is, is they don't know stuff exists until their dad teaches them. 
You know what I mean? There's some stuff in my life that I didn't know existed until my father showed me the goodness of it. Like, for instance, I love euros. So there was a time in my life, I was about 16 years old, and my dad took me to Ames, Iowa, to a Greek restaurant, and we sat down, and usually you sit down, and each person uh, orders what they would like. Uh, my dad says, give us two euros. And I said, I don't know what that is, and I don't like them. Okay? And he gave me this euro, and I hated it. Hallelujah. I hated it, and I hated the sauce on it. I hated the cheese on it. I hated the tomatoes. I was picking everything off. I wanted a euro, no vegetables. You know, it was that stage of my life. And uh, taking all this stuff off, I hated every bit of it. But because my dad bought it for me, I had to act like I liked it. And since that day, he has taken me to euro places all of my life. As a matter of fact, this week, he was like, you want to go get a euro? And of course, I said, yes, sir. Because it's not my favorite thing, because he developed, he put a desire in me, and then he has the ability to fulfill it. It's the same way a dad comes home with a baseball glove to his young son, and the kid has no idea what a baseball glove is. And he gives him a baseball glove, and he says, here you go, son, this is yours. And he's like, he can't put it on his thing. And then he begins to show him, take a ball and and throw it, and it hits him in the face, it hits him all over, and he can't do it. But eventually, the, the son becomes so in love with this thing, this desire that his dad has put inside of him, and only his dad can fulfill it. Imagine now the son is about eight years old, and he comes home, his dad comes home, and his, his, his son's been sitting there all day throwing the ball into the glove, throwing the ball into the glove, waiting for his dad to come home. And it's a magical thing when his dad says, son, go get your glove. And the dad walks out to the front yard and begins to throw the ball with his son, Because in the same way that he gave him the desire to play baseball, he's the one who can fulfill it by being the person who interacts with him. Check that out. That's the way God does with desire. He wants these desires to be fulfilled, and he changes our desire. What happens is, and James addresses this a couple different times, he says sin happens when desires happen in us, and they pull us away from God. And then they're conceived, and then they become sin. And all of us know those desires. They know the things inside of us that that pull us and drag us away from God. And here in chapter 4, he's saying the same thing. Quarrels and fights among you are a result of these desires that are pulling you away from God. And and they are... creating battles in you, and they they are times when you have a desire and then you do not have. They are not fulfilled. And so when God says, look, a dream fulfilled is a tree of life, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life, God is saying, I can fulfill things in your life that the world will leave you empty in. I can fulfill things that everything else has left you broken. I can give life in those places. I desire for dreams in your life to be fulfilled. What we often miss is that our desires come from our deficiencies. I talk about deficiencies a lot because I believe it's the crux in, of, of Christian life. I believe that we are deficient. We, we come out and we, we live this human life, but we have a broken place inside of our spirit and God longs to fill, fill that. And so what he does is he crucifies his son so the spirit of God can live again in people. It's the place where um, God says, if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. What happens is there's still people, they're still alive, they still have personality, they still have will, they still have emotions, they still have relationship with each other, but they're dead on the inside because they are deficient 
in that thing. The Spirit of God is gone from them. And I believe that everything in your life is either you trying to fill a deficiency or turn to God to fill your deficiencies. And this is where sin comes from. It's where fights and quarrels among you come from. And this is what Jesus, or, uh, James is trying to get across to us in our lives. If your life is not where you'd like it to be, I would say that it's because the deficiencies and desires in your life are not being fulfilled by the only one who can fill them. James is saying the same thing. So he says, look, you have deficiencies, you have holes, you have crevices, nooks, crannies, caves in your life, places that you have shut the door on God and said, don't go in that place. God, come and heal me over here, but don't open that. God, come over here and bless me over here, but I don't want to deal with that. God, make me to a person who does great things for your glory and your name, but I don't want to be obedient over here. Make me a person that, that is so close with you. We're so close, God, but I don't want to have to transform the parts of my life that you don't like to inhabit. This is what we're doing. And so James says, look, he says, look, in your life, you don't have the things you need because you don't ask. You're not willing to ask God. My son, Judah, um, has a way of predicting the future. He likes to predict the future. So he'll come in and he'll say, uh, yeah, I already know the answer. I'm like, what, son? What are you, what are you talking about? I already know the answer, so I'm not going to say anything. What do you mean? Just, just say it. What's the deal? you, you got to ask. I was going to ask if I could have your phone. No, son, I'm, I'm using it right now at, the, at this very moment. Yep, I knew it. <laughs> and he's getting to the place where he doesn't ask for certain things if he feels like he knows the answer. And in our lives... Our deficiencies and our brokenness have led us to so many unanswered things and so many disappointments that we don't want to ask God anymore. Have you ever noticed that a lot of God's solutions require something from you? You ever notice that oftentimes we pray for more money, but God has given us a way to get more money? A lot of times we ask for God to work in our children's lives, but he's given us solutions that we can have God work in our children's lives. We ask God for a good marriage and we ask God for uh, solutions with our relationships and he's given us those things. And usually it's us taking our lives and lining it up with what God has asked us to do not even asked us. It's not like he's like, I want you to do this. He's like, if you want this, then do this. He's like, look, if you'll be a tither, I'll pour out uh, blessings you can't contain. He says, if you're a giver, I'll, I'll, I'll supply more seed to you so you can have enough for you and other people. That's his, his money motive. As far as, far as uh, for your family, your children, it's, it's, Bring your kids to the house, Lord. Forsake not the summoning of yourself together. Uh, 
to um, live a holy life before them. Uh, train up your children in the way that they should go. And the way that they should go is how they are bent and how God has made them. But oftentimes, we're trying to keep them from repeating our mistakes instead of letting them hear God for themselves. Many people are spanking their kids and driving foolishness into their heart because they won't come before God and live a holy life. They just want to punish them because they're in love with some form of punishment because they actually hate themselves. It's, it's real. I could go, I, each of those are their own sermons. I'm not going to preach them today, but if you want them, uh, you can join my How to Parent course for 1995 this month. It goes like this I don't know. <laughs> I can't even get my own kid to not talk back to me during church. <laughs> Just kidding. She's a great kid. You want, I talked about this a little bit last week, but you want a good marriage. The Bible lays it out. It says, submit yourselves one to another. Create value in your life by honoring God and then giving it to the other person for their benefit. And then he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And Wives are so deficient with the rest of the world treating them like crap that they can't even treat their own husbands with respect. It's deficiency. Husbands are so entirely uh, just fed up with their job and, and, and people putting them down and, and the weight that they have to carry, they're deficient. And so they can't love their wives the way Christ loved the church and laid himself down for them. It's all deficiency. And what God is trying to say here is like, you have because you don't ask. And our idea of asking is so twisted because we feel like we're not supposed to ask, we're supposed to do for ourselves because our idea of prayer in the first place is wrong. It's not asking for something. It's not begging God for something. It's actually spending time in communion with God so that his heart becomes your heart, and then you know how to act moving forward. So most of the time, we're just driving down the road, and like, I don't know, I'll try this prayer thing. Brandon said to, to try it. So God, if you could do something about my kids, if you could do something about my spouse, if you could do something about my money, if you could do something about my job. But what God is saying, and, and what Jesus said, his last, like, 24 hours on the planet before he dies, he spends four chapters telling you and I what is available if we'll be connected to him. He says, if you're connected to me, if you're abiding in me, if you're living in me constantly, that's true prayer. And if that is true, then you can ask for whatever you want and it'll be done for you. That's the way. It, so what he's saying is like, you don't even ask God because you know what the answer is because you haven't connected with him in any way. You feel bad walking in one day and being like, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but uh, I got some money issues. And you walk back out in your deficiency and then you go, yeah, I knew that wouldn't work. I knew that wouldn't work. He says, what's causing all these fights and quarrels and stress in your life, it's you fighting against you, it's you fighting against other people, you fighting against your kids, is these deficiencies, these desires that go unfulfilled. You're coveting. Coveting is where you look at other people and think, my life could be like that. 
except it's not, and I'm upset about it. I know in children's church they told you it was like, don't want your, your neighbor's truck. Coveting is so much more than wanting someone's item. Coveting is looking at everybody else, everything else, and going, God doesn't take care of me. That's coveting. It is. And that's what really God is saying. It's what, it's what, makes, what makes our social media so, so hard is because people are showing you, you know, like you get to see me standing on the side of the road in Malibu over a sunset. You're like, man, I wish my life was like Brandon's. But you didn't see me at midnight the night before cleaning poop off the walls because my kid was in the bathtub trying to clean herself up. And it was not in the bathtub. She was in the bathroom smearing poop all over everything. And you're like, it's a, it's a trade-off. You know what I mean? It's like you get poop, you get Malibu. That's the way it is. So I'll call you next time. Just kidding. That, the poop story is true and the Malibu story is true. All the other stuff is not necessarily true. But you see a picture and you go, wow, I would like my life to be like that. Why can't I be like that? And in the worst moments, God, uh, Satan comes along and goes, yeah. He's like, God doesn't care about you. God is holding out on you. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. God doesn't. And then so these desires inside of you quarrel. They create covetousness. They create, uh, they create these desires to go, wow, I just, I really need a new fifth wheel. Everybody else is having a great time with their fifth wheel and their new truck. I wish I could live my life like that. They create friction inside of you, fighting and quarreling. And if you fight internally long enough, it will come out and you'll fight against everybody else. It'll come out in politics. Hello. That's the ultimate desires inside of you and covetousness. Ah. Wow. So he says, but you have not because you ask not. Or, or you ask with the wrong motives. And the, the, the really natural interpretation is to go, yeah, you shouldn't ask, or you should ask, but not ask with the wrong motives. And so then you don't ask for anything, because guess what? Most prayer is about you. Just is. It's the way it is. And what God is saying is like, no, I want you, your prayer, not to be a bunch of requests. I want your prayer to be intimacy. And Jesus himself promised that, if you're intimate, if you know me, if we're connected, if you live in me, you can ask for whatever you want. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it is to the Father's glory that he would answer your prayers and that it would produce joy in your life. But it comes from being connected. And so then he goes on, he's like, hey, adulterers, you adulterous nation. He's not talking about people who have cheated on their wife. He's talking about you cheating on him with the world. He says, you're adulterers. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Enmity is such a weird word. It's like the only people like my mother know because she was alive and she remembers when you didn't decorate before Thanksgiving. You know, my mom's that old. Bless you, mom. I remember when Jesus said, celebrate me all year long. So let's just get Christmas going in January. I'm, it's not beyond me to leave a tree up all year long. Okay. And for those that need to know, Jesus said, enter his courts. Or, I will enter 
his gates with thanksgiving. That means if you're going to get ready for Christmas properly, you need to decorate for Christmas and then have thanksgiving. That's biblical. It's his birthday, not mine. That was just a a bonus for those that needed the excuse to get crunk for Thanksgiving. So he says, I have to butter you up a little bit, get you laughing, because I'm going to tell you some stuff that might hurt a little bit. Okay, you ready? (laughs) It's like the doctor. (laughs) Here we go. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Enmity means enemy of God. That's a big one. Am I really an enemy of God? Now, you know people are like, well, if you're going to be friends with them, then you are not friends with me. You're against me if you're friends with, you know, like those people in high school that just never quit going to high school. They just are like 45 years old, but they're still like high schoolers. It's not talking about just that, not just a feeling, but God is actually delivering you truth. He's like, look, you can't be a friend with the world and then love me because we're so opposite. Now, Face value, we just go, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't watch Harry Potter because that's worldly. And if you watch Harry Potter, then you're an enemy against God. Oh, you shouldn't go to the lake because if you go to the lake on Sunday, then that means that you're not a friend with God because you're a friend with the world. Oh, you shouldn't wear a swimsuit because a swimsuit looks too much like the world. Hey, you shouldn't wear Kanye shoes. Actually, Kanye got saved, so you can wear Kanye shoes. But Michael Jordan's still a sinner. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. We, we just chalk up these things. They're all stupid. They're all stupid. They're not what God is talking about. What he's saying is friendship is a deep connection. It's the same thing Jesus is saying in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. I encourage you to read them a lot. What he's actually saying is your friendship with the world is a deep connection that comes from someone that you identify with, that you spend your time with, that you feel like. I told you I was going to preach about Josh because he doesn't like stuffing, come to find out. So we may not be friends. But we were hanging out in Malibu, and, uh, and we would say the same things and want the same things. And I mean, everything we did was just like, he was like, dude, we are like on another level of friendship right now. It's like we are, like everything is just vibing at a, at a deep level. Why? Because we are friends. We're friends. What do you want to listen to? I would say something and he would want to listen to the same thing. What do you want to do? You want to grab three more coffees? Yeah, let's grab three more coffees. So we would walk in and be like, give me three iced lattes, please. Like, you guys are going to drink three iced lattes apiece. Like, you betcha, it's vacation. We were on another level of friendship. We were so connected, and everything we did was, was right together. As a matter of fact, when things get hard in my life, you know who I run to first? Josh. When I want to discuss something that I can't discuss with anybody else, I run to Josh. When I'm excited about something, something's going really good, you know who I run to? Josh. When I have stuffing that I have prepared all day long, and it is ready to be eaten, I can't share it with Josh. Because I know that about him, because we are friends. Mm. I know his desires. I know what he wants to do with his life. I know where he wants to go. I know the kind of things that he likes. I can be across the world in another country 
and see something and take a picture of it and send it to Josh. And he'll be excited about it because it is the exact same thing that he likes and is ignited by, excited by. Because I know Josh. What the Bible is saying here is that your deep connection, your friendship with the world is creating a divide between you and him. He's creating a space where he says, if you want to be connected to me, there's things in the world that are so unlike me that you are running to, and they're leaving you deficient. And I'm right here. I want to be connected to you. A friend is a person who's solid and consistent. A friend is a person who is is there for you and takes time for you and is is when you when you give them a call. A, a true friend is a person no matter how many times you don't call them, when you call them, they're excited to hear your voice again. A friend is a person who forgives. A friend is a person who creates comfort. A friend is a person who gives you joy. A friend is a person you can laugh with, that you can dream with, that you can see your future with, and this is true friendship. Now, the problem is when everything hits in your life, generally, we as humans run to the world. When we have deficiency, the first place we run is to the world. So even though we want all these things from friendship, the other side of that is I just need I just need. And so when things happen in your life, your solution usually comes with this phrase, I just need, and then you write in something, and usually that thing that you need for your answer for your life is in the world. So you'll say, I just need a drink. I just need a night out. I just need to get away from my family and I need to spend some time alone. I just need, I, and you can just write in whatever it is that you think you need and probably everything on your list is of the world. It's the world's solution to your deficit. It's the world's solution to your deficiency. It's the world's solution to your problem. Nobody, well, maybe, I don't know. Most people do not go, I just need to get alone by myself in a room and pray in tongues and cry out to God for the next 24 hours. Stick with me. I just need to fast. And rid myself of these emotions, this anxiety, this depression that keeps fueling me because I'm so attached to the world. I just need to restore my friendship with God and get to know him better and, and know his heart for these people who are coming against me. I'm pretty fearful about the future and I'm not really sure what to do, but... I realize I, I could probably watch more politics and I could watch more YouTube videos and figure out how I'm supposed to care for myself. But what I really need is I need to open up James and just read the book through as many times as I can this next week. I need to get alone and get away from my phone. Silence all voices but the voice of God. In the same way that I could 
spend time with Josh and be excited about Josh as my friend. It's the same way that you need to be running to Jesus instead of the world. I don't think God has a problem with what you wear. Trust me. You go to Hawaii, people wear significantly less clothes than they're Christians. Right? Amen. I don't think that watching a movie, spending some downtime, taking a vacation, all of the things, many of, not all of the things, many of the things that we could put on the list and consider them worldly are a problem. I think it's your friendship with them. I think it's your deep connection. And so what happens is you can put all those things aside. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Not to do that. And still be living in deficit. Still be living in emptiness and not have your prayers answered. Living and fighting and quarreling and problems and issues back and forth because you are not friends with God. It's a blessed hymn that says, friendship with Jesus. When's the last time you considered God your real friend? When's the last time you wanted a friend? Just wish you had a friend. Thought of an old friend and thought, that's the kind of relationship I need to have with God. Jesus, I keep referring to this John chapter, chapters 14, 15, 16. My favorite chapters of the Bible, hands down. As a matter of fact, they're all, when I sit down to read the Bible, those four chapters are all that I've read all year long. I told Josh that we were in Malibu, and uh, I said, I've only read these four chapters all year long. He's like, I can tell. And we read them watching the sunrise together uh, in Topanga Canyon, and we just read it. We just sit there and cry because of what God was doing in our hearts just by reading his word. You don't need to drink with your girls. You need to open up the word of God with them. You don't need to day out with the guys. You need to sit down and, 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 and read the word of God with them. Are we that kind of people? What would happen if we did become that kind of 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus is walking around with the 12 people he's just spent three years with. And eventually in that process, he goes, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. He says, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. And many of us are comfortable with serving Jesus but not ever becoming his friend. And in the Old Testament, they served God well. They served God. He was their master, their servant. But for some reason, God was not content with that. He had to kill his son. Think about this. He had to kill his son. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if it's at all possible to not be killed on that cross, I would like that route. And God goes, no, it's not possible. What's the dividing line? Is that now you can be a friend of God. 
Are you living below really what God has invited you into, what he desires for you to be? A friend of God. If you continually run to the world, you'll automatically make God an enemy. Most of the desires in, inside of you that you know are not like God are so attached to the world that they are the opposite of God. The opposite of God. Like I said, I'm not against vacations. I'm not against Disney World. Glory to God. I'm not against hanging out and, and having brotherhood. I'm not against hanging out with your friends. I'm not against taking your kids to main event, shooting flying dinosaurs. That's awesome. I love that. But if I have deficiency inside of me, that's never going to cure it. Hanging out with your friends long enough, having enough drinks, whatever you think you have to do to unwind, it's not the issue. The issue is you're not attached to a source. And wells always run dry unless they have a source. Last thing he says is this. Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This one, man, gets me every time, but God put something in you. He put it in you. It's a gift. And he jealously longs to be connected to it again. It's the spirit of God in you, and he says, I just want to be. It's like I'm jealous of the world. I call you an adulterer, yeah, because you've been, you've been out there leaving our relationship. And I have everything. You've been longing for something that will never fulfill you. It's creating more stress and anxiety and fights and quarrels. You can't even get an answered prayer in because I want to be your friend. I want to be connected to you. I want what I put inside you. For you, as a human on this world, it will take drastic changes for you not to continue to run to your old friend and turn to your new. It's going to hurt a little bit. You're going to have some places that you're like, I just want, I just, I just need, I just, I just. God says, I just want you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Repentance is saying you're sorry, but it's actually changing your route, changing your direction. Sometimes that's a complete 180, and sometimes it's just a few clicks direction, a few degrees that change the course of your life forever.
we just start with some repentance that says, God, forgive me. Forgive me for being an enemy of yours and a friend of the world. Forgive me, God. I'm sorry. Just begin to make up in your mind, let it ignite in your spirit, the spirit of repentance changes changes direction and just say this God I'll run to you Jesus I'll run to you God give us a prayer life Teach us to pray, to connect with you, to become friends with you, to have real connection, real communication, so that your heart can be our heart. speak to our hearts. Just open your hands where you are and just let him fill your heart and your mind and just however he wants to. Jesus. said I would never leave, I meant that. I want you to trust that again. I never turn my back. There's no shadow in me. I've been shining like the sun in your world. I know that you felt the warmth but you hide in the dark. But I have never left. Come back. I'm the sweetest of friends. There's nothing, nothing that I can't do in your life. If you trust me again, You'll see. 